We're going to pray, then we're going to jump to the Word, and then we'll see what happens from there. Awesome. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are with us. I uh, thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are present, that you are with us, Lord. I pray for your tangible manifestation that you are here and that you have all authority and all power and it belongs to you. That you are indeed the King and the Lord. We thank you for that, Lord Jesus. We thank you for what you did. We thank you for salvation. It's just too good to even dream up, Lord. We thank you. We really thank you. We love you. We honor you. I pray this morning that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would come into the hearts of men and women in this room. And I pray for change, Lord, for change, even repentance, metanoia, New Testament, the changing of the mind, that you would penetrate the hearts of people this morning with your word in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been in the book of Acts. For a couple of weeks now, I don't know how long we've been in the book of Acts, so if you're coming this morning and you haven't been here for the last uh, probably four weeks, some of what we're going to go into might not really have a context for you, but it is up on the website if you want to listen. But uh, the book of Acts is an incredible book. I think it's like a spiritual tonic. Whenever you read it, it just is something, it's so supernatural, it's just so revealing in terms of how the church started and what that meant. And I believe with all my heart, friends, that it's a book for these days in terms of the origins of something are very important. Yes? Very important. And so we're going to continue with that. I'm going to quickly say a little bit of what I said last week, that we are built and designed for the supernatural. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. I hope you are. But we are. And there's a longing in every person for the supernatural where the you know it sometimes even or not, but in every single person there's actually a desire and a longing for the supernatural until it's taught out of them, especially in a Western age, in a Western world. But we are supernatural beings. We are designed. Even Christianity itself is supernatural in origin. We are supernatural in makeup. We are actually living, breathing organisms in a sense to be able to host the presence of the Lord. And that's who we are. And, and I think the I see the body of Christ becoming more and more aware of that in the Western world, in the Far East and many other parts of the world. They have an understanding of that. But it's technology, science, all these other things are of God, and they're wonderful and they're good, but they're not Him. They're not Him. And we are designed to be supernatural. But 1 Corinthians 2 says this, verse 14, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness, and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. That's why debate sometimes, friends, it just doesn't help. Pray for them. Reach out to them. Pray for them. Demonstrate. Demonstrate that you, the Spirit of God lives in you. I said last week, if we actually do have the living God within us, it should make a difference. It should make a difference. And we do. And therefore, it should make a difference. There should be something very stark between who we are and who God says we are than, than, in a sense, the rest of the world. Not that we're better in terms of us, but there should be something vastly different. The presence of God, Exodus 33, should distinguish us from every other person on the face of the earth. That's what the Bible says. Amen? So, we can read the Bible and allow what we have experienced to this point determine with what lens we look at it. 
We really can. So I can go to the Bible with a certain lens and a certain to the level of what I've experienced up until this point in my spiritual journey and my spiritual walk with the Lord. And I, I don't realize it, but I go to the Bible with that lens. And when we allow that, in a sense, we find what we're looking for. Instead of go to the Bible with the author of the Holy Spirit and allow your experience to begin to match up with what you read, which will sometimes be very uncomfortable, but it's always to bring freedom. Always, every time. Every time. God is better than I think than many of us realize. So, Acts 2. I'm going to go back to Acts 2, and we're going to read. We went a little bit over this last week, and we're just going to continue from there. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to be them to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and when this sound occurred, the multitude came together. Friends, I wish we could, have, we could really see what that was like. There was a sound that drew thousands of people. There was no wind and there was no fire. There was, there was something that looked like we would understand fire. It's heavenly fire. But there was a sound and there was something that they perceived to be fire. There was no wind. It was a sound. And it says when the sound occurred, people stopped in a sense whatever they were doing, and came to where these people were. And 3,000 people got saved. So thousands came. That's what happened. It stopped in their tracks, thousands of people, and came and said, what's going on? What's happening? And the disciples, in a sense, looked around. Something was vastly different on the inside, instantaneously. Something had changed. Something had shifted. What Jesus had promised them, the promise of the Father, I have to go so I can send him suddenly they realize what has started to take place. So they look around, they hear a sound, they've changed, they look around, and they see fire on people's heads. Can we understand the extreme nature of that? It's an extreme issue, it brought complete shifting and changing in a human heart. So, then we know what happens. They were confused, <laughs> the Bible says. When the sound occurred, everyone came together and they were confused. That is often the result of the supernatural activity of the Spirit of God on the earth. People become confused. It says they were amazed. They marveled. Later it says they were perplexed. It said some mocked. And that is almost always the case, especially if they're not spiritually discerned, as the Bible said. You will always find multiple reactions, multiple reactions to when the Spirit of God does something that we can see. I grew up in this. I grew up seeing incredible things, supernatural things, and it put in me obviously an assurance that God is real, that God is alive. But the funny thing is this, is witnessing those things doesn't change a heart. It lets you know something, there's something, but God, it has to be personal for you. There has to be a personal relationship for you. And that's what had happened to many of these guys. What happens, unfortunately, is because of our, we have Western logical, linear type thinking, we want everything to be exactly the same. And so last week we broke some boxes of people. You know, when you talk about being filled with the Spirit or immersed, you know, Jesus used the word baptism, but then he, later on they kept using the word filled. That's because it's more of who you already have, uh, just to make it very, uh, very simple. The word baptism just means immersed. 
And so everyone thinks there has to be some event. And for many people, there may be an event that they can point to, just like with the salvation. But for many people, there's not. And they're no less immersed in God. And we have to understand that. There's a river, in a sense, of God that the Bible speaks about that you can wade into, you can walk into at any point. And then we say, well, there has to be tongues or there has to be some evidence that they had. And I know I'm breaking some boxes and I'm going to continue to do that. Why, friends? Because the tongues that they had was supernaturally speaking the languages of other people on the earth. It was not like a prayer language like many of us think. And if that's the only evidence, then I don't know anyone who's filled with the Spirit. We have to break out of certain boxes and certain frameworks and certain methods. And then we think it all has to be, they have to get saved, okay, and then they have to be baptized with water, and then after that they're going to, and we get so, we just check, 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 okay, that makes me X. It's supernatural activity. In Acts chapter 10, when Cornelius, when the Gentiles were saved, it says, while Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit fell. No one raised a hand. No one prayed a prayer. Consider supernatural regeneration of the heart. He just fell. And then, and then they said, can we prevent these from water? In other words, yeah, we better, we better baptize these guys. Total everything upside down. Friends, it's him. It's a person. It's not a method. It's not a strategy. It's a person. And he's the king. And he does whatever he wants, when he wants. But he's looking for co-laborers that understand how he works, what he wants to do, and then he can rest on a person. He can rest tangibly on a human being in such a way that when other people encounter you, there's something that you carry that is not of earth. It's called presence. It's, <laughs> it's extremely good news, really, is what it is. So how do we wade, in a sense? So I ended last week saying we can wade into the river of God. We can walk into the river of God. What does that look like practically? Well, let's go look. I'm going to read a large portion of Scripture. Can we do that? Can we read the Bible in church? That's, that's a good idea. Acts 2.14, we're going to read pretty much at the end of the chapter. It says, and if you want to read out loud with me, you're welcome. Just read on the screen because your version's probably uh, less brilliant. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. I can imagine some people saying, yeah, but they're fishermen, so. <laughs> but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and on my men servants and my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, the sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Just one quick thing. They moved from days, the last days, to day. We have to see that's a vastly different thing. 
The first part of that, in a sense, Old Testament prophecy that he's talking about is what we are in today. It's called the last days. And then in verse 19, he says, I will, he starts, but I will show wonders. From there to the, when he says, the great and awesome last day, that's the single day at the end. Okay, very important to understand. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Then Peter explains, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man, we went over that, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. When you miss out what God wants to do, in a sense, we can follow a rule and become lawless. They were following the law, yet they were lawless. Just consider it, because there was no intimacy with the person. It's not rules, amen? When God raised up and loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, let's actually go down to verse 29. David says awesome stuff. Well, let's go to verse 28. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. When the presence of God comes upon a person, it can do something extremely deep in the heart. But at some point, there's got to be joy. It's not this intense. If it's him, there's, there's going to be joy because he's actually quite happy. We sit under friendly skies because of what Jesus did. It's a true story. It's actually a true story. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried and in his tomb and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, meaning physically, according to the flesh, that he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne, he, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses, Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, imagine saying that to someone, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is to you and to your children and all those who are afar off. But then he says this, verse 41, they gladly received his word, were baptized, and 3,000 souls were added to them. And it says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in the fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayer. It's a lot of scripture. You're still good. Awesome. How do you walk into the river? How do you immerse yourself in God? How do you become, in a sense, totally immersed in God practically? What do you do? How does that look? Well, if you get saved, you too will receive this gift. And then it shows you what they continued in. Do you see that? They continued in the apostles' doctrine, in the fellowship, in the breaking of bread and prayer. Those, and I've heard this taught on many, many times, 
but those things to them was how they would, in a sense, continue to wade in, continue to be immersed, continue to be filled so they could begin to carry what they had just seen happen to these people. You see that? All right, so the question should arise, and I know I'm taking you through something very fast. What is the Apostles' Doctrine? It's a very interesting question because it says the Apostles' Doctrine, fellowship. That's why I was saying earlier, we need one another. I don't think we realize, even supernaturally, how much we need one another because no one can be Jesus on their own, but we are his body together. It's a very, very supernatural thing. We need one another dearly. And then it says, and the breaking of bread. Friends, that's more than communion. Please hear my heart. So much more than communion. It's the breaking of bread. Meaning what? It's to fully understand why Jesus' body was broken and what that means, what that results in. And then prayer. And prayer was dramatically different from the way they used to do it in the Old Testament. Otherwise, they wouldn't have asked Jesus to teach them to pray like him. Everything had shifted. We need to see the two covenants. Everything had changed. Everything was different. Everything. So the question is, what is the apostles' doctrine? Apostles' doctrine, it most likely included everything that Jesus had taught them, but it had to be more than that. Why? Because it was what Jesus had just done. Friends, they didn't have the New Testament. So we cannot just say, well, the apostles' doctrine is the word. They didn't have that. And everything in the Old Testament was pointing to Christ. And if it was sufficient, then nothing more would have been written. So, they spoke out of relationship and out of fellowship. What was the apostles' doctrine? What was it that they, in a sense, did practically? And what was it what they were taught that, you know, when you hear something and it continues to affect you, like if someone gave you a car and you get extremely excited and then you forget, you wake up in the morning and you get excited all over again. Who's ever had that? It's like, oh my gosh, that, that's still awesome. It still feels great. That was happening to them. They had become saved. They heard everything we're just about to go into. But it says they continued in it. Why? It had to be outworked. They started to, things started to hit home. Oh, hang on, that means that, and that means that, and that, and it changed everything. Number one, if you go look at Acts 2 verse 14 to 24, what is Peter, well, he stands up and he begins to speak. He speaks about the prophecy of Joel. So what he's saying is this, number one, Jesus is who the Old Testament was pointing to. That's what he's saying. He goes, you see this happening here, guys? You see all of these people that look drunk to you, the Spirit coming? In? This is that. This is what Joel said. This that you see is that. This was pointing to this process, which they thought would be different. They thought radically different. He said, this that you see, this is what Joel was talking about. This is, the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus, and this that you see is that. He is the Messiah. And they thought that the coming of the kingdom and the coming of the Spirit, it's actually Old Testament thought, that those two would come together. But they thought that the Messiah would come, he would rule like David ruled, and even beyond, and even bigger and larger, and everyone would get saved in a sense of the way through proselytes. You know what that is? People, Gentiles would come, submit to, in a sense, Judaism, get circumcised, do all these things, and become a Jew and follow the law. And through that way, the world would start to have a relationship with God. That's what they thought. So Peter said, this, guys, this is that. 
But it's much, much, much better than what we always thought. It's actually what he's saying. Because he actually took care of sin. He actually changed me from the inside out. He took care of everything he removed. The, actually, Colossians 2 says it. He says, having, Colossians 2.14, having wiped out the handwritten requirements that was against us, that was contrary to us, which was the law, he nailed it to the cross. So he says, we can now be transformed and changed from the inside out. It's not about everyone becoming like us, like Jews. It's about us becoming like him. And that's what he was trying to say. Guys, therefore, you too will need this. As Jewish people, they were like, what? It was extreme, but very good news. They would have instantly understood this. We don't. Modern Christians, there's so much we miss because we don't have the context. Israelites left Egypt on Passover to be free from bondage to a cruel slave master, which is Pharaoh. Forty days later, they arrived at Sinai. Moses went up the mountain to see God. Some days later, scholars say about ten, he came down with God's gift, which was the Torah, and 3,000 people died. Jesus died on Passover, (laughs) freeing us from the bondage to a cruel slave master, sin. Forty days later, went up a mountain, Mount Olivet, and ten days later, the gift not the Torah, the Holy Spirit came down and 3,000 people were saved. They instantly would have known that. Everything the same. In fact, there was an earthquake on the third day on the mountain. There was an earthquake on the same day. Everything exactly the same. They had been separated from the law. And I don't know if we can understand how extreme that was for them. It was how they ate what they dressed, who they married, everything they did, done, over. Now what? I see many believers today get a combination of the Old and New Covenants mixed together. And they go from bondage to freedom to bondage to freedom and you become confused. It helps to understand that there was a total break total break, and it's a new covenant. What else was the apostles' doctrine? What else, how did they, else did they go deeper in God? Well, Jesus operated as a man. He said it in Acts 2.22, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man. Now, I've taken the last couple weeks to explain this because it can throw some people. But he operated as a man filled by the Holy Spirit. So what had happened was he's saying, guys, remember what Jesus did? Because they would have seen it. The same spirit that was in him is available to you. It's like you're saying, I mean, look at them. That same spirit is available to you. These guys are fishermen. They're men, just like you. Look at them. That's because of what Jesus did. And he's saying it's actually not something you qualify for, like under the law. (laughs) That would have... The first question, well, how do we qualify for that? What must we do? How do we, that's actually what they ask, what must we do? What are the certain qualifications? He said, no, Jesus took care of that. It's extreme. The good news is extreme. Fifty days earlier, they would have all done what? They would have all had a lamb. They would have all examined the lamb, killed the lamb, Passover. I can literally imagine Peter saying, you remember fifty days ago when you all had to examine the lamb? and make sure that it was spotless. 
the cool thing about this new covenant, guys, is that the lamb was thoroughly examined. His name was Jesus, and he was spotless. Therefore, what? The end of the sacrificial system as well. And he was examined on your behalf. So you can't qualify for this. He qualified for you, and he wants to pour this out. You just have to believe in your heart. It, everything changed. And that's why as they got saved, they would have heard him say all these things. And then things would have started to be like, oh, wait, now what? What else? Let me just read some of these. That Jesus died. He says it in Acts 2, 23, 24, literally verse by verse. It says that him being delivered was taken by lawless hands, crucified, and put to death. But it says, but death could not hold him. They had to understand, Jesus, yes, he did die. But he could not be held by death because he was sinless. That's why. Because the wages of sin is death. And he was sinless. He defeated death. Removing what? The bondage or imprisonment. The word remission means bondage, imprisonment. Having been pardoned. Every penalty removed. Everything removed. Everything removed. Everything that started in the garden, they would have understood this. He said, guys, that whole process, you know, when Adam messed up and all, and now we're all born with in here, all of that's done. And they would have said, what does that mean for me? So he said, well, this Holy Spirit that you see poured out, you're going to need him. Because there was no New Testament yet. You're going to need him to be an effective witness. You're going to need him to be a Christian. You're going to need to be so immersed by the Holy Spirit. In fact, that Jesus said that without him, we cannot be saved. Without him, we cannot be effective. Without him, we cannot be a witness. <laughs> he said, do nothing until he comes. How else did they go deeper in God? Acts 2.33, Jesus being exalted, poured out the Holy Spirit. What else was the apostles' doctrine? Everything that you see happening, guys? He said, that's Jesus too. <laughs> that's what he said. Meaning you will need him too. I can imagine them saying, you know, before he died, he told us about this. John 14 to 17. He said he told us all about this the night before he died. That the Holy Spirit will do this. The Holy Spirit will do this. The Holy and we didn't understand. And you may not understand what I'm saying. It's like what he's saying to them. You may not understand what I'm saying. But when he touches your heart. And when he comes upon your heart. Then you'll understand. But trust. And repent. Change the way you think. And believe. And when he comes. You'll understand. Because you will be changed. Because <laughs> he said this is also the work of Jesus. Because he's pouring it out. And then the last one is that Jesus ascended into heaven. In verse 34, For David did not send into the heaven, but the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. So Jesus ascended into heaven, and right now is seated at the right hand of majesty on high, King of kings. It says they were, their hearts were pricked. Word says pierced. The real word there is pricked. It means pierced through further than the spear went into Jesus' side. They were pierced right through. He said, what do we do? He said, repent, believe for the remission of your sins. That is, in a sense, the doctrine that the apostles were bringing. It was everything that Christ had taught them, but more than that, it was everything that Christ had done. But then it says something very interesting. It says, they continued steadfastly. That word steadfastly means what? to persevere without fainting. You know, the, the first thing they would have done, it's the first thing that many of us do, we try to do it in our own flesh. 
They said, okay, well, we're going to work at this. And Peter's like, well, yeah, the law is still in you. We've got to get that out. We've got to get that stuff out. Because it's based on what he's done, not on what you can do. It would have been such a shift for them. And it's such a shift for many people. Because this inherent sin that we're born with, that Jesus takes care of on the cross, that thing continues to speak to us continues to try and make us do it by ourselves. You're not worthy. You can't do it. Or you better make this work and you better. That's the same thing. It really is good news. What would have become apparent to them? What would have become very apparent? Because they've heard this doctrine, right? Okay, we see that. They've heard this doctrine of the apostles. That's great. They're like, oh my, and they get saved. They feel the shift. They feel the change. It's this incredible, Jesus did everything, you do nothing, okay? But repent, believe, and he will change you, and then he will prepare good works for you to do. And he will call you, and he wants to co-labor with you, but he wants to do it with you, in you. He wants you to learn to carry the Holy Spirit in such a way that you're remarkably different. In such a way that you, you see what's happening to them? They actually, it's very interesting, they were declaring what? They weren't preaching the gospel. It says they were declaring the wondrous works of God. Why is that important? Everything that they were declaring, at the same time they were declaring it, they were being equipped to do. The Holy Spirit upon them equipped them to do the wondrous works of God. So what would have instantly become apparent to them, specifically as Jewish people, and this is very personal for you and I as well, instantaneously, what would have been like, okay, that means that. Well, as I've already said, in the last days, he says in the last days. So they would have suddenly been aware, suddenly, instantly, this is a new dispensation, which means nothing before applies here. And then when he says, in the last, uh, this last days period will go until the last day, they knew this is the last days. This is the last dispensation and then the end. And in this dispensation, we need the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about walk with the Spirit, live by the Spirit. That nothing happens except by the Spirit. The Bible says the Spirit will speak. In fact, in the Old Testament, there are times when in the book of Isaiah, it says, and the Lord said, when it is translated in the book of Hebrews, it says, as the Holy Spirit said. Because the Holy Spirit is the voice of God for us. He takes the Bible, even Jesus even said, he takes of what is mine and he declares it to you. This personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's not about magnifying and exalting the Holy Spirit. That's where people get it wrong. They become all Holy Spirit focused. Eh, wrong. Acts chapter 4, it says, Peter, filled with the Spirit, spoke of Christ. As you become immersed in the Spirit, one of the main evidences is you fall in love with Jesus. You speak of Christ. You can testify. You can be a witness of Christ, even if it means you die. He says you will be, be empowered to be a witness. That word witness is the word martyr. I don't think we understand how extreme this was for them. But friends, it hasn't changed. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Jesus is still pouring out the Spirit. He is still having to convince his people. 
that they are under a new dispensation, a covenant of grace based on his work on your behalf, which makes you righteous. And because of that, he wants to pour out his spirit because he loves to give. And he wants to equip you to be who you actually are. We sang it. My life began. When death was arrested, my life began. You only become who you are when you get saved. People don't understand that. The real you is born. That's why it's Jesus said, born again. You are born. The person that the Bible says that Jesus knew before the creation of the world, when you get saved. That's who you are. And you're all going to look different like that. Not everyone has to be a Paul. Not everyone has to do what I do. The Spirit of God immersed upon you will look different than on another person. But together, we are the body of Christ. But we need Him to be Christians. Not even to be affected, just to be Christians. We need Him. We need Him desperately. The church, Western church, needs the Holy Spirit back in the church. A.W. Tozer said, if I remove the Holy Spirit from the church today, most of what the Western church is doing, they would keep doing exactly the same thing and nobody would know the difference. What if you move the church, the Holy Spirit, out of the early church? They wouldn't know what to do. Friends, they didn't have the language that we have. They didn't have, think about this, the concepts from the New Testament, God is your Father, walk by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, adopted as sons, new creation in Christ, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, all these concepts, these things that we know to be true, these things that we are immersed in and we speak and that we believe and that we, they impact our lives and we live out. They have nothing on it, nothing. But they knew Him. They knew Him. They were operating in the gifts of the Spirit for 27 years before Paul, with a brilliant mind, came along and told us what they were. They were just doing it. Because the Bible, always, all spiritual activity is first experienced, then understood, and then written down. We reverse it. Let's go study, let's try qualify ourselves, and then let's go and try and do. It wasn't written like that. It's a relationship with a person. With a person. And that changed everything for them. What else would have instantly become, very instantly would have become apparent to them? That his tangible presence is available. I don't know if we realize <laughs> the power of the presence of God. That his tangible presence suddenly became available. Meaning what? Before, it was only at one place, at one time, or with a person. You need to go to a priest, or you need to go you know, near the tabernacle, or then near the temple. They understood the power of presence. They would carry the ark of God into war. You understand? They would carry to war. Would decimate the enemy. They would carry the ark of God, and they just actually, the one time they just laid it before a false god, and just this thing sitting there, the presence of God, that God fell flat and smashed into pieces. They understood presence. They understood the presence of God is Him Himself. And now you're telling me, you're telling me, Peter, 
that that presence can live in me. And not only that, that I can be so immersed with it that I can, the word anointed means to smear. The word, how do you get filled and immersed? If you take a cup and you put it in a bowl and you keep pouring until the cup overflows and then it fills the bowl. That's what he's talking about. You will be so filled, so immersed in this presence. And they grew in it. Peter was a fisherman, friends. And so we come up with all these doctrines to make sure that, to make sure that we can never be like that. Well, that's ended. That's not happening today. That is absolutely rubbish. He was a man. Peter was a man, yet he walked. The Bible said his shadow healed people. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, this became available to any person that was in a sense saved, in any place, not just at all, at any time, whenever they wanted, however much they wanted. In fact, in, they understood that in order to approach presence, we have to be made perfect. There has to be a sacrifice of blood and all that kind of stuff. So much so that they would tie a rope around the priest's leg. So that if he wasn't good enough, if he wasn't perfect enough, if he didn't do something right, he would literally die. And they actually tied bells around his waist. Imagine that. He had ding, And they would drag him out. <laughs> that's, what, that's what they did. Now they're saying, now then Hebrews says, you're telling me that this presence can be upon me, and the sacrifice that qualifies me is his blood, not mine? Peter's saying, yes. And that's what I'm telling you. The Bible says in Hebrews 4, I think it's Hebrews 4, that you can approach the throne of grace boldly, confidently, with all our failings, with all our flaws, with all our stuff. We don't run away to get qualified to come back. We run toward, because in his presence, the heart is changed. In his presence, we become formed and made into the image of Christ because you cannot stand near God for too long and not be completely made new and transformed. <laughs> That's the presence that we carry that would have become instantly apparent. There were many things. That <laughs> when the Holy Spirit came to the earth, it was the great equalizer. We have to see this. It was the great equalizer. It says young men, old men, maidservants, manservants. When the Holy Spirit came, he's saying, guys, it's not about all Jewish men anymore in terms of, you know, the firstborn sons were the prize, the, the women not so much. Men could be priests, not women. That all ended. He's saying your sons, your daughters, old people, young people, nobility, no social status, race, black, white, orange, green, they're all the same. Male, female, there's no social, there's nothing of yourself. It's now all the same. It just equalized everyone on the same level when the Holy Spirit came to the earth. For them to say that your daughters will prophesy, you understand how radical that was to them? They would have thought temple prostitutes. They would have thought because that's what the females are doing in pagan religions. <laughs> we have to see it. No, there's neither male nor female, nor Jew nor Greek, nor slave nor free in the presence of God because the Holy Spirit came to the earth. <laughs> and then it, even when it says, and they shall prophesy, 
You know what that meant to them? That wasn't just prophecy. That wasn't just I can lay hand and prophesy over a person, which is great, and we do that very irregularly here. Paul had not come and given the list of the gifts of the Spirit. Paul had not come and explained things. That was 27 years later, 27, 28 years. To them as Jewish people, they understood the realm that only the prophets had access to. Healings, miracles, the prophetic, words of knowledge, supernatural activity through a physical person, through you. That realm is available to you and to you and to you. <laughs> Instant. Based on the sacrifice of Christ, based on the apostles' doctrine. You know when the Bible says, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, you know what that word all means? You guys are geniuses. That's right. <laughs> means all. I even looked it up. Means all. You guys are brilliant. Peter didn't understand what he was talking about. Do you know that? He didn't actually know what he was saying. Because to him, all was Jewish people. Acts chapter 10 comes and he goes, Lord, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Can we understand the primary importance of the Holy Spirit? Why do I say this? What did some people in the early church not have? The people who were getting saved. They didn't have the New Testament, right? They didn't have. So the Old Testament was pointing to Christ. Everything pointing to Jesus. It was sufficient in terms of showing who he was. And there were many things that we can understand with the Old Testament. But the fact that Paul, think about this, had to write to Timothy and say, the scripture is useful. He had to write to Timothy saying the scripture, meaning the Old Testament. Guys, it's useful, it's God-breathed, it's useful, ex encouraging, exhorting, edifying, and so forth. Why? Because Timothy was Greek, and I know he was raised with the scriptures, but there were Greek people. The Jewish people that got saved, they didn't have a New Testament. Then there were Greek proselytes and stuff got saved, they knew some of the scriptures. But later on in the book of Acts, there were people who got saved, Greeks mostly, that had none of this. No Jewish background, no Jewish history. You say Adam, they say who? Um, think about it. Who's Adam? Who's Moses? Who's Abraham? Who? What? They were Greek mythologists. They knew Hercules. They knew Ares. They knew Zeus. Think about that. And yet they got saved. Why? Why? Because to them, the favor of the gods would have mean the, the people who believed in those gods had statehood. Greeks ruled the earth at some point. You're telling me that these Jewish people that are like nothing right now, that their God is actually God? It shifted everything that they thought was godlike. Why? Ares and, and Zeus and those guys, they fought in the battle with people. They fought wars with men as they believed. So Paul writes to Ephesus, Greek people, We'd no longer fight flesh and blood. He's changing everything that they think what is God-like. And this God, He loves you. He's interested in you. This God sacrificed Himself so you could be free. What? Why did they believe Him? Because they carried something. And so when they demonstrated the Holy Spirit, the supernatural miraculous, they said, Okay, our, our weird magicians and occultic guys can do something, but there's a witness in my heart. There's, a, there's something in my, inside me that says, 
that's truth, because I'm free. Because they told him that the real thing, uh, the real thing that plagues the earth, guys, is, that's what he was saying to them, is not what you think it is. It's sin and death. And our God took care of that. You think Ares is a God of war? Our God fought the real war. He fails if people don't pray to him. Our God doesn't need us at all. They started presenting the God who was and who is, who is to come. People would very easily in those days, think about this, die for a warlord who was powerful, powerful or a king who was noble. What kind of God, what kind of preaching, what kind of demonstration, what kind of presence did they carry in order for these Greeks that knew nothing of the Bible, they didn't have the old or the new, would say, that's the truth, that's the God, that's the real thing. Just consider it. Unfortunately, I don't know if those Greeks would believe in God like they did then with the way he is represented today. We need a relationship with the Holy Spirit. We need to become immersed. We need to become filled. We need to understand what He's done on our behalf. They waded into the river of God by continuing in the apostles' doctrine, learning, what does that mean for me? How does that change? What is that? I can pray whenever I want. I don't have to go through a ritual and organized prayer. I can speak to Him. And then that revelation started to come out. Actually, he's your father. He knows the hair on your head. His thoughts towards you are constant. He is good. He loves you. He wants to bless you. He's poured out his spirit upon you. And it went on and on and on and the presence of God. It was a real present reality to them. And they knew the Holy Spirit to such a degree that they penned the New Testament. They knew him. They knew his voice. That's Christianity. And that's the Christianity that we long for. That's a Christianity we celebrate here. A few guests here. That's why we worship like we do. Because His presence is here. And when He comes, only He can change a heart. I can sit and beat this guy all day and say, you better be better, you better be. Every time I'm doing that, I'm actually making sure that he's going to get worse. Because the Bible says the Lord stirs up sin. But if I show him Christ... And let the Holy Spirit come upon his life. Then you'll see a heart changed. It's good news. It's good news. Let's worship the Lord together.